want to welcome you this morning to the seminar, The Secret to Continuous Revival and Answered Prayer. And before we begin, let's just bow our heads for a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for bringing us here together. Thank you for the amazing things that you are doing on behalf of your people as they're seeking after you and also as they're seeking to spread the words of life, Father, around the world. And right now we just ask that your spirit would be with us as we study your word and examples from scripture. You know, it is our desire to walk with you in a continuous relationship of abiding and trust and to experience revival. Um, on a greater and greater level, Father. So we just ask that you would be with us. I ask that you would give me your words, that these would not be my own, but that you would speak through me right now. And I thank you and praise you for what you're going to do. In your precious name, amen. I have a lot that I want to share with you this morning, so I'm going to probably move pretty quickly and try not to go over time here. I don't know about you, but... Probably many of us can relate to the fact we have our mountaintop experiences. We go to this conference or that conference, and it's like we experience revival. Or maybe, you know, we spend the summer doing literature evangelism, and we experience God working, and it's so amazing. But then we go back to our school or back to our studies or back to life, regular life, and it's like you kind of begin to lose that walk or that relationship where you feel like I'm not experiencing the revival like I was. But you know, God wants us to continue. He wants us to have this revival continually and to continue to grow. So this morning, I'm actually going to be talking two themes. They, they work together, um, but it's revival and answered prayer. And I'm going to start with revival first. We're going to run through this really quickly. First off, when we talk about secrets to continuous revival, this is ABCs. This is we must be people of the word and of prayer. And this is so obvious, and yet we miss it time and time again. In 2 Timothy 2.15, it says, Study to show thyself approved unto God. So we must be continually studying to show ourselves approved unto God. Acts 17.11 um, says, And these were more noble in Thessalonica, and that they searched the scriptures daily, to see whether these things were so. They didn't take the things that they were hearing or others were speaking, but they were searching themselves continually, daily, to see whether those things are so. And as we know, um, as we get closer and closer to the end, we're gonna have a lot of different counterfeits, a lot of different confusion over what it God is doing in his church. Is this true revival? Is that true revival? Is this biblical? Is that not biblical? And we have to be continually grounded in the word. And that's why I bring people back to um, Isaiah 8.20 that says, To the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it's because there is no light in them. I love these quotes from Great Controversy. Um, page 595 and 601. And you can just follow along with me as I read. It says, God will have a people upon the earth to maintain the Bible and the Bible only as the standard of all doctrines and the basis of all reforms. We are living in the most solemn period of this world's history. The destiny of Earth's teeming multitudes is about to be decided. Our own future well-being and also the salvation of other souls depend upon the course which we now pursue. We need to be guided by the spirit of truth. Every follower of Christ should earnestly inquire, Lord, what wilt thou have me do? We need to humble ourselves before the Lord with fasting and prayer and meditate much upon his word. 
especially upon the scenes of the judgment. We should now seek a deep and living experience in the things of God. We have not a moment to lose. So when I say the first um, secret in experiencing continuous revival in our hearts is we have to continue to be in the Word and in prayer or we, we are not going to have that experience. Number two, we need to realize that it's a daily walk. You know, I don't know about you, but when I was younger, when I was a child, I would always like live in the future. It's like, uh, next month is my birthday. I can't wait till this happens. Or next year I'm gonna be old enough. I can go away to, to camp or to do this or that. And you often, even in our lives now, we can be looking forward and experience in the future and not realizing that we are today to walk with Jesus, today to abide with him. We can even look at the past. You know, we went to um, this powerful GYC event or we went to this powerful iShare event and that was a great experience and we continue to live on that experience. But we must live today. We must breathe today like Doug was saying with the power of the Holy Spirit. It is a daily walk and there's a number of scriptures. I didn't put all the references here, but just the emphasis on the scripture is not living on the past or living on the future. It is to look forward with hope to the future, but it's a daily walk. Walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. Walk not as other Gentiles walk. Walk and please God. Walk in his statutes, keep his commandments and do them. Walk before him and be thou perfect. Walk in love, walk as children of light. Walk after the Lord your God. As you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. So again, this is, this is so basic, so simple. And yet, you know, for years in my own life, I didn't, I didn't catch the significance of this daily walk. I was always living on something that had happened before or living on something that I was looking forward to in the future when I didn't realize today, today, what does God have for me in his word today? What does he want to show me through prayer today? What does he um, want me to reach out or help someone today? The daily walk. So the first one is being um, in the word and in prayer and then realizing number two that it is a daily walk. And here we have a couple of verses talking about today. Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation from Hebrews uh, 3, 3.15. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sins. Hebrews 3.13. I die daily, 1 Corinthians 15.31. Nevertheless, I must walk today, tomorrow, and the day following. We have to realize that the past is under his blood. Whatever has happened to us in the past, however he's forgiven us, how he's worked, it's under his blood. And the future is in his keeping. But we focus on walking today. We focus on abiding in him today. Here's a powerful quote from That I May Know Him, page 63. God will not occupy a divided heart or reign from a divided throne. Every rival that holds the affections and diverts them from the God of love must be dethroned. The Lord demands all that there is of us, that there must be no reserve. Christ has purchased us. We are his heritage, and we are to be honored by being co-labors with Jesus Christ. Wear the yoke with Christ and daily walk with God. How shall we do this? By laying hold upon the help which God has provided. The Lord has said, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened him. Opened unto you. Okay, the third secret to continuous revival is the humility of brokenness. And here I've listed several different verses that talk about the sacrifices of God are broken. Um, spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. Talks about how he's close to those that are of a broken and humble heart. 
For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I will dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is, is, that is of a contrite heart and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones from Isaiah 57, 15. Let me talk a little bit more about what I mean when I talk about brokenness. In a book called Secrets to Victorious Living by Norman Grubb, he actually makes a really interesting statement. I just put it here so you can read along with me. He says, we're not isolated units living in a vertical relationship with God. We are members of a human family also with whom we live in a horizontal relationship and our obligations are two-way. We cannot say we are righteous before God through faith in Christ and continue to be unrighteous before men. Let's put it this way. We can liken a man to a house. It has a roof and walls. So also man in his fallen state has a roof on top of his sins coming between him and God. And he also has walls up between him and his neighbor. But at salvation, when broken at the cross, not only does the roof come off through faith in Christ, but the walls fall down and man's true condition as a sinner saved by grace is confessed before all men. Unfortunately, Norman continues, the trouble soon begins after conversion, and here lies the basic hindrance to continued revival. Continued revival is continued brokenness, but brokenness is two-way, and that means that the walls must be kept down as well as the roof off. But man's most deep-rooted and subtle sin is the subtle sin of pride. Did you catch that? Catch that? Self-esteem and self-respect. Though hardly realizing it, while we are careful to keep the roof off between ourselves and God through repentance and faith, we soon let those walls of respectability creep up again between ourselves and our brethren. We don't mind our brethren knowing about the success we have in our Christian living. If we win a soul, if we lead a Bible class, if we have a prayer answered, maybe if we sold so many mega books or something like that. If we get a good idea from scripture, we don't mind that they hear these things because we get a little reflected credit because of them. But where we fail in those many areas in our daily lives, that's a different question. If God has to deal with us over our impatience or temper or dishonesty or coldness or some other sin, by no means do we easily bear testimony to our brethren of his faithfulness, of his deliverance. And you get the idea. Now there's a lot of questions as we deal with revival and especially as we talk more about united prayer um, because in united prayer we actually take people through four different sections, biblical sections and themes in scripture. Um, we start with praise and thanksgiving. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. And then we go into a time of confession. And we often use a verse from James 5:16 that says, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another. So is public confession, how does that fit in? Let me just share a couple quotes from Spirit of Prophecy. To the one asking for prayer, let thoughts like these be presented. We cannot read the heart or know the secrets of the life. These are known only to yourself and to God. If you repent of your sins, it is your duty to make confession of them. Sin of a private character is to be confessed to Christ the only mediator between God and man. For in, if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. 1 John 2, 1. Every sin is an offense against God and is to be confessed to him through Christ. Every open sin, this is where we get into public confession, should be as openly confessed. Wrong done to the fellow being should be made right with the one who has been offended. If any who are seeking health have been guilty, of evil speaking, if they've sowed discord in the home, the neighbor, or the church, and they've stirred up alienation or dissension, if by any wrong practice they've led others into sin, these things should be confessed before God and before those who they have offended. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
And yet this is where often pride comes into the picture. Those walls come back up around us. We don't want our brothers and sisters um, to see or to know the struggles that we have, even though, honestly, if truth be told, we realize we are all struggling with the basic same things because we're all sinners um, in need of the blood of Christ. Here's a couple other quotes from Review and Herald, December 16, 1890, and from Selected Messages, page 326, first Selected Messages. All are fallible, all make mistakes and fall into sin, but if the wrongdoer is willing to see his errors as they are made plain by the convicting spirit of God, and humility of heart will confess them to God and to the brethren, then he may be restored. Then the wound that sin has made will be healed. If this course were pursued, there would be in the church much more childlike simplicity and brotherly love, heart beating in unison with heart. And it goes on to say, fall on the rock and be broken, and Christ will give you the true and heavenly dignity. Let not pride, self-esteem, or self-righteousness keep anyone from confession of his sins, that he may claim the promise, he that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whosoever confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Keep nothing back from God, and neglect not the confession of your faults to the brethren. So there, there's a difference, obviously, when we're, when we're um, coming before God, living in brokenness of humility. And that is, there are things that we keep just between us and God. Just like in a personal marriage relationship, there are intimate things you would keep just between your husband or wife, right? Those type of things we also keep just between us and God. But we also do not want pride to keep us from being... Um, honest with God and with our brethren because our church and those that are around us they see where we are they see when we're struggling it's very evident in our lives in our demeanor in our in our expression when we are struggling and having a tough time in our walk with God and so to hide those things and to pretend like everything is great it is it, it, it's not good there's a quote that I often like to say is let's stop trying to appear righteous but let's be righteous before God and we can do that only by his blood and only by his strength Let's be righteous before God um, through his strength and power. So that's the third uh, secret of continuous revival. The first being people of the word and of prayer. Uh, the second one is, the third one is brokenness. The second one, the daily walk, remembering that we must walk daily with Christ. And oftentimes, I'm not going to go through this chart but we share this with people, the beauty of brokenness. Sometimes we think, you know, well, we're doing really good. There's not really, pride isn't really an issue in our heart. Um, but yet when you compare the, uh, this proud, this chart talks about proud, self-filled people versus broken, humble people, you realize how many ways that you need to grow and how many ways that you are proud. Um, just looking at some comparisons, proud, self-filled people uh, have an independent, self-sufficient spirit, whereas broken, humble people have a dependent spirit, recognizing their need for Christ's strength. Proud, self-filled people are self-protective of their own space, time, reputation, and possessions, whereas broken, humble people are self-denying, willing to let go of personal space, time, and um, possessions. Proud, self-filled people desire to be a success so others will see. Broken, humble people desire to be faithful to God and help others succeed. And let's jump down to the very last one. Proud, self-filled people don't think they need revival, but they think everyone else is or everyone else does. You know, how often do we look at our friends and we're like, if only they had revival, if only they could. And yet it is us that needs revival, and we need not just revival um, from what we've experienced before, but we need it today continuously. Broken, humble people have a repentant heart that is constantly seeking a fresh experience with God or a daily revival with God, we could say. So I can give you more access to that chart later if you would like, but that just 
to help us realize our need of Christ. The fourth secret um, of continuous revival is learning to be a witness. And again, this is very given. But we each day need to be praying as we're studying the scripture and as, as we're in prayer. God, how do you want me to witness today? How do you want me to speak of your goodness today? How can I share of your faithfulness? And he will continually give us things. He'll continue get, continually give us fresh um, words, gems, pearls in his word that we can share with others. He'll continually give us fresh experiences on the street um, that we can come home and share. Isaiah 43.10 says, Ye are my witnesses. I love these two quotes. Um, this first one's from Our High Calling, page 279, and it says, Let your countenance reflect the joy of the Lord. Speak of his goodness and tell of his power. Then your light will shine more and more distinctly. Above your trials and disappointments will be revealed the reflection of a pure, healthy, religious life. And then from Desire of Ages 340, As a witness for Christ, we are to tell what we know, what we ourselves have seen and heard and felt. And you know, many people can argue with us. They can argue with what we share, what we take to the door, or these different things. But can they argue with our experience? No. I'm here. I know what God is doing for me. I know how he's changing me. I know what I was before. I know what I am now. And I know that I have a lot more that I need him to grow me in. But God cannot be argued in our own personal experience, in our own personal testimony. So this is why it's so important to be a witness of his faithfulness. And as we witness of his faithfulness, he's actually going to give us more things to witness of his faithfulness for. If we've been following Jesus step by step, we shall have something right to the point to tell concerning the way in which he's led us. We can tell how we've tested his promise and found the promise true. We can bear witness to what we've known of the grace of Christ. This is a witness for which our Lord calls and for want of which the world is perishing. We all have a testimony. Some of our testimonies is very dramatic and, and just, you know, like everyone wants us to tell it again and again. It's so amazing. And some of us, it's a little bit more gradual. But you know what? Each one of us have a testimony. And we need to pray and ask God, how can we share that testimony? Because we can each testify to his faithfulness. So again, the four secrets uh, to continuous revival. First off, what's the first one? Being people of the word and of prayer. That's right. Second one is... The daily walk, day by day, walking with him. The third one is keeping a heart of brokenness, an attitude of brokenness. In other words, not letting pride and respectability change your dealings with God or with man. And then the fourth one, being a witness. Okay? So that's just really quick. <clears throat> now I want to talk specifically about prayer. And I'm going to try to um, cover a lot of material here, so I'm going to be talking very quickly. But when we talk about prayer and the power that, that there is in prayer, I want to try to, to change our paradigm shift a little bit about maybe what God would have us to think of or to do. First off, <clears throat> we all know the song, How Great Thou Art. You know, and we sing it at church. You know, Oh Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder Consider all thy works thy hands have made. I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my God, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art. Now the reason I share this, this is one of my favorite hymns, by the way. But 
How many of you have walked through times in your life, if you're not there right now, but maybe at some point in your life, you don't have to raise your hand, I'm just kind of asking a question, where you've wondered, God, you know, others are testifying of his goodness, they're sharing this, they're sharing that, but, you know, it doesn't really seem like you're that great to me. You know, my life is ordinary, I'm struggling with this, I'm struggling with that. You know, life really doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem like you're answering my prayers. It, you know, how great you are, you know, it's not real to me. I think we've all at some point had questions like this and struggled. And I want to um, take us actually, well actually these pictures are from um, some tornadoes that just happened back in the Midwest, Tennessee and Georgia I actually was there a few weeks after they happened. Um, and you can imagine that these people, they're asking God, why did you allow this to happen? And then we can look at the, the tsunami in Japan and the other things. That are, and, and there's Christians over there. There's Seventh-day Adventists over there just like us. And can you imagine they're asking God, why are you allowing these, these things to happen? So we are not immune as Christians or Seventh-day Adventists. I just want to take you really quickly uh, to Job 38. <clears throat> And I'm just going to read a couple verses. Because God was um, testing Job, and we know, we know what we went through. It's stories that we often talk about. And yet Job's friends came to him, and they were trying to get him to deny God and to deny the power of God. So in Job 38, verse 2, God answers those questions that were posed. And he says, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee an answer, thou me. Where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. Who hath laid the measure thereof, if thou knowest? Or who hath stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who hath lain the corner stone thereof? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy, or when, or who shut up the sea with doors when it break forth as if it had issued out of the womb? And God continues to go on and on and on, asking Job, you know, do you understand? Who are you? You know, knowest thou? Uh, let's see here. Verse 18, Hast thou perceived the breath of the earth? Declare if thou knowest it all. You know, who are we as people to question? And yet Job questioned because he was going through this experience and he's asking God, what are you doing? What are you allowing to happen? God trusts us. And he's trusting us with a responsibility to show forth his character to the world and to trust him even when things do not make sense. And can we explain everything that happened? You know, with Job, we understand what God was doing. But can we explain the things that are happening now? Not necessarily. But God is trusting us with a responsibility. And in John 15, um, verse 15 through 16, it says, I call you not servants. The servant knoweth not what his Lord do doeth, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit, and whatsoever your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it unto you. So I'm going to ask this question as we go into talking, to, talking about secrets to answered prayer. Imagine if we really took God at his word in prayer, what might happen? 
as we talk about this, I mentioned a paradigm shift. Now recently, um, at one of our uh, camps that we had in Kahata, we were really blessed as Pastor Ratsara shared some really powerful testimonies from the Word of God and prayer. And it's really helped us, I think as a team, have a paradigm shift. And that's what I want to share with you. You know, if we go back through the Bible and study all the prayers and the testimonies in the Bible, that the majority of the prayers, almost all of them that are prayed in the Bible, God actually answers positively. In other words, He answers yes. Now just imagine that. There, there are a few exceptions. For example, if you look at David, um, he was praying that his son would not die. He also prayed that he could build the temple, and God said, no, your son is going to build that. And then, of course, there was Paul and the thorn in the flesh, and God chose not to remove that. But when we look through the Bible, God consistently over and over and over and over again is answering his people yes. So when we look at our lives today, do we see that same pattern? Or do we see lots of prayers or things you know, we don't understand? He's not answering. He's quiet. Things aren't making sense. You know, I'd like to ask ourselves the question, did God change in this new 21st century? You know, did he say, um, I've changed my mind now for those, you know, those young 21st century people. I'm, I'm not going to you know, honor my word as I have in the past. And I want to make them work and strive a little bit more and all those different things. You know, did he change his mind? No, we know that he didn't. We know from, from the scriptures that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And yet, why is it so difficult for us to trust him? and to trust his word. Keys to revival and prayer. First off, we must believe that God truly is a God that hears our prayer and that desires to answer our prayer. And that comes from Psalm 65 too. Key number one, praying in faith. God promised and he does not lie. From Numbers 23, 19, it says, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken? And shall he not make it good? God is not a man that he should lie. He cannot lie. But do we believe his word? Just look at these verses I have on the screen from Matthew 7, 7. Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened unto you. Matthew 21, 22. And all these things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. John eleven twenty two. But I know that even now whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it to thee. John 14, 13. And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And then the verses just go on. Uh, look at the center one there, John 16, 23. And in that day you shall ask of me nothing. Verily, verily, I shall say unto you, whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it unto you. So the first key um, in having our prayers answered is we must ask in faith. We must believe that God is who he says he is. Secondly, we must pray according to his will. Key number two, pray according to his will. And we must know um, the will of God. Now something that's also interesting to note in the Bible, you don't see a lot of people praying their prayers you know, dear Heavenly Father, you know, I'm asking for such and such, and if this is according to your will, would you do this? Now, we know Jesus, when he was in Gethsemane, he prayed that, you know, not as I will, but as thou wilt. But the people of the Bible, and as they're praying the prayers, 
they did not um, pray. You don't see that example in the Bible. If this be according to your will, um, in general, it's much more confident and it's much more sure. I want to look at the story of Joshua. Joshua basically said, son, stand thou still. Now, you can look at this prayer and you can say, was that, was that a prayer of presumption? How could Joshua pray that? That's actually found in Joshua 10, uh, verses 12 and 13. Then, then spake Joshua to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Sun, stand thou still upon Gibeon, and thou moon in the valley of Ajalon. And the sun stood still, and the moon stayed until the people had avenged themselves of their enemies. Ellen White actually speaks of this um, from Patriarchs and Prophets, page 508. And she writes, Before the evening fell, God's promise to Joshua had been fulfilled. The entire host of the enemy had been given into his hand. Long were the events of that day to remain in the memory of Israel. There was no day like that before it or after it that Jehovah hearkened unto the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. The Spirit of God inspired Joshua's prayer. That evidence might again be given of the power of Israel's God. Hence the request did not show presumption, presumption on the part of the great leader. Joshua had received the promise that God would surely overthrow these enemies of Israel, yet he put forth an earnest effort as though success depended upon the armies of Israel alone. So he prayed, but then he worked uh, as though the success depended upon that as well. He did all that human energy could do, and then he cried in faith for divine aid. So catch this, this closing part here on this statement in regard to Joshua's prayer. The secret of success is the union of divine power with human effort. Those who achieve the greatest results are those who rely most implicitly upon the Almighty arm. The man who commanded, Sun, stand thou still upon Gibeon, and thou moon in the valley of Agilon, is the man who for hours lay prostrate upon the earth in prayer in the camp of Gilgal. The men of prayer are the men of power. So this is what um, I want to bring out in relation to this prayer of Joshua and also what could be uh, applicable in our life today. And that is Joshua had already spent hours in prayer seeking after the will of God. And God had given him the promise that they were going to be avenged, that they were going to have the victory. So when the time came, he could stand publicly before the children of Israel and say, Son, stand still. And he didn't have to pray, Son, stand still, if it be according to the will of God. He already knew that it was according to the will of God. And we can know that too, but we have to be much in prayer. We have to be much in His Word, seeking. Does this align with His Word? Is this what He's calling us to in His Word? It's kind of like writing a check. You know, we aren't going to take our checkbooks out and write a check if the money's not in the bank, right? We're going to make sure, whether we check online or go to our bank or whatever, that the money's in the bank before we write the check. And that's what the Christians in the old times that we see stories of in the Bible that were able to pray with such faith and were able to have such bold, audacious answers to prayer. They checked for the clearance before they wrote the check in their prayer. We often write the check today before we check for clearance. We come together and we pray, God, if you will, you know, do this. God, if you will, do that. You know, we have to know, you know, what is the will of God? We know one thing is 
God's will that we have victory over sin. We know that that is his will, so we can pray that with confidence. We also know that it's his will that people be saved. So we can pray with confidence that and how he does that and how he works. And obviously he doesn't force any man. Um, we all have that free choice, but we can pray those things with confidence and we could go further on in that discussion. But the next key, key number three, is actually um, becoming a friend of God. How do we know his will? We become a friend. As a friend, we will know his will. Prayer is the opening of the heart to God as to a friend. Not that it's necessary in order to make known to God what we are, but in order to enable us to receive him. Prayer does not bring God down to us, but it brings us up to him. Steps to Christ, page 93. That's one of my favorite quotes. Now, something in any uh, relationship, you know, if you're close with somebody, you can hear you can hear almost what they're thinking if they whisper, almost if they don't even say anything, right? There's a verse in Isaiah 30, 21, and it says, Thine ear shall hear a word behind thee, saying, This is the way, walk ye in it when you turn to the right hand or to the left. That's from Isaiah 30, 21. Okay? Another verse is from Psalms 32, 8. Psalms 32, 8. Now, if you have a best friend, you can look across the room without saying anything, and you can know what they're wanting you to do, right? They can just... You can read each other's mind. Do this, do that. Oh, I don't like this, I don't like that. You can read each other's thoughts because you're so close. And that's the relationship that God wants us to have with Him. We are so close. We've been spending so much time in His Word and so much time in our knees in prayer that we know what He's wanting us to do without having to go and consult Him. We know. And that's why I love the verse in Psalms 32, 8 that says, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. Imagine having such a friendship and a closeness with God that he will guide us with his eye. Christ Object Lessons, page 129, says, if we keep the Lord ever before us, allowing our hearts to go out in thanksgiving and praise to him, we shall have continual freshness in our religious life. Our prayers will take the form of a conversation with God as we would talk with a friend. He will speak his mysteries to us personally. Now I want to ask you, um, kind of as an illustration, if I said that I was friends um, with someone famous, I'm going to use Ted Wilson for example, the leader of our church who we all really respect and appreciate and admire. If I said I was friends with him, would you believe me? If you didn't know anything about me? No. No. Okay. Okay. What if I showed you a picture and I said, Look it, I have my picture with Ted Wilson. Photoshop. We're friends. <laughs> this isn't Photoshop, this is a real picture. Although we can do Photoshop, and that's very deceiving. Now, tell me, what do you think? Am I friends with Ted Wilson? It's a little bit more believable. Some of you are kind of thinking, yeah, maybe you are, and some of you are not. Okay. Let me, let me tell you this. <clears throat> Ted Wilson knows who I am because we've worked a little bit um, together um, at the GC with prayer ministry. But you know what? I wouldn't say that I'm a friend of Ted Wilson's. You know why? Because he does not trust me with the intents or the, the visions of his heart. You know, we are an acquaintance, maybe, but he doesn't share his concerns or all these different things. I'm not one of his advisors, okay? I, 
Okay, so the same is, is in our relationship with God. You know how easy it is, you know, we go to church or we get in the right setting or we get in the right picture and even look, we're here at iShare. This is a conference um, pulling us together, teaching us how to be more effective soul winners and evangelists. But just because we are here, just because we're in the proper picture, does that mean that God can trust us with his heart, that he can trust us with his desires? Do you get the point of why I'm, why I'm sharing that, that illustration? We can be in the right picture with God, but even still, we may not be a friend of God. We may say, yeah, he's my friend, but ultimately is what's gonna happen when the judgment comes, when Christ comes back. And you know the story of the 10 virgins, um, the 10 virgins, and the, the, the thing that comes down to it is he says, I never knew you. He needs to know us, not just know us know him, and not just us know about him. He needs to know us, truly to be a friend of God. Here's a couple scriptures from James 2.23. And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever com I command you, from James 15.4. So in order to have an answered prayer, we need to be friends of God. And we're going to talk more um, about how that entails as well. Key number four, pray, praying by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit alone must lead us to pray aright. We must not only pray in Christ's name, but by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This explains what is meant when it said that the Spirit maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Romans 8, 26. Such prayer God delights to answer. This is from Christ Object Lessons, page 147. And then um, from a general conference bulletin from April 2, 1903, paragraph 6, it says, If we draw nigh to God, he will draw nigh to us, and his glory will go before us. He will indict our petitions, teaching us to ask for the very things that he has pledged himself to bestow upon us. Okay, jumping on, we have a few more keys I want to cover before we round this up. Key number five, persevering in prayer. Keep praying until the answer comes. Now, how often is it to pray, but then we don't see an answer? And so we say, oh, that must not be according to God's will. Here's several different illustrations in Scripture. I'm actually going to just focus on the last one. But here you see Elijah in Mount Carmel, and he kept praying. Um, and he didn't see the rain, and so he went again, and he prayed again, and he sent his servant to check again, and over and over you see him persevering until the seventh time they saw the black cloud on the horizon and the rain was coming. Jacob wrestling with the angel. He said, I will not let you go except you bless me. We have the neighbor at midnight knocking and knocking, you know, and after a while he could have said, oh, I shouldn't be knocking this time of night. I shouldn't be, but yet he kept knocking, and he received the answer. The widow and the unjust judge um, from Luke 18. That's a powerful story actually referring um, to answered prayer and to God's people seeking after prayer. And I actually would encourage you to go back and read that, Luke 18, 1 through 8, later on. Um, the story I'm going to just focus on briefly is the faith of the Canaanite woman. She was praying for her child to, to be healed, and she comes to Christ um, in Matthew 15, uh, 22 is where I'm starting, and, and she says, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed, vexed with a devil. But he answered her not a word. Now, isn't this a little awkward? You know, she's, she's come crying after God, and he doesn't answer her anything. You know, our reaction, wouldn't it naturally be our reaction 
if maybe again let's let's put this in in a context maybe that we can understand maybe President Wilson was here since I used the illustration of, of him before and he's with a crowd of people and there's lots of people attention around him and everything and we have something we're really wanting him to do for us and only he can do because he's the president of the Seventh-day Adventist Church and we know that he can do this and so we go after him we're like Elder Wilson you know could you do such and such for me and he ignores us wouldn't that be a little embarrassing like we've just kind of made a little scene and he doesn't say a thing my tendency would be like okay I didn't really say anything, you know, let, let's just leave. I didn't really say anything. But, and, and, and even the disciples and those around him said, send her away, she crieth after us. So now the disciples are trying to get him to go away. And this is what he finally says. He says, I am not sent unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So he's basically told her, I am not sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So. Elder Wilson makes some comment as we're crying after him, could you please help me with something like this? And he says, I'm not sent to help you. I'm sent here to help these people. I'm sent here to help these leaders. Wouldn't that be discouraging? For one, he ignored you. And now for two, he said, I didn't come to help you. I came to help these people. So our tendency would be, we're gonna stop seeking after him, right? Okay, sorry we asked, let's go our way. Let's pretend you know, like that didn't happen. But she does not do that. She came, in verse 25, and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. Now this is where that analogy with Elder Wilson breaks down, because he's, he's a mere man. Okay, we're talking about God here. She's coming and saying, Lord, help me. And this is what I want you to think of as we're looking at the verse. When we are bringing our request and our needs to God, when we are coming, praying for deliverance from something that we're battling over in our hearts or lives, praying for somebody that can be saved, praying for success in evangelistic campaign, or praying for success as we go door to door um, selling books. Who else can give us that success? Who else can help that answer be true? No one. You know, like Doug was saying this morning, God is the only one that can answer our prayers. He is the only one that has the answer. He's the only one that has the remedy. So we have to keep pressing after him and holding on to him even if he does not initially appear to answer. So she came and she worshiped him saying, Lord, help me. You're the only one I know to come to. If you don't help me, no one can. Verse 26, but he answered and said, it is not meat to take the children's bread and cast it onto dogs. Here, um, the third or fourth time, he has basically shunned her. You know, basically I would be giving food to dogs if I answered you. And yet she says, truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. And Jesus said, O woman, great is thy faith, be it unto thee even as thou wilt. And God answered her prayer. Now, as I've looked at the story, did, did God share this? Is this story in the Bible to discourage us from praying? No, this story is in the Bible to help us persevere in praying, to keep holding on when we don't see the answer, to keep holding on even when things don't make sense. Even when God appears silent, he is the only one that we can stand upon. He is the only rock um, through his word that we can lean upon. We must continue to press. So um, I'm gonna go back through those keys, but if there's one thing that you walk away from today in relation to prayer and continuous revival, 
I pray that it would be that you would hold on and continue to press forward even when you do not see those answers. God has an agenda. We can know his agenda. It's in his word. When we pray in accordance with his will, which is revealed in his word in faith, and we do not let go, it's impossible for God not to answer our prayers. I have just a couple more keys here. Key number six, pray from a heart of obedience. To obey is better than sacrifice. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. 1 John 3, 22. So we must be praying from a heart that is also obeying to the best of our ability what we know that God has asked us to do. Key number seven, pray from a forgiving and forgiven heart. Forgive us our debts as we forgive. Steps to Christ, page 97 says, When we come to ask mercy and blessings from God, we should have a spirit of love and forgiveness in our hearts. How can we pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, and yet indulge an unforgiving spirit? If we expect our own prayers to be heard, we must forgive others in the same manner and to the same extent as we hope to be forgiven. We could talk a lot about that, but that's very obvious. We can't come to God expecting him to answer or to forgive us if we are not willing to forgive others. And only he can give us that forgiveness, right? Only he can do that supernatural work. And then the final key, key number eight, is praying with open hands. We must be ever ready to help those in need. In other words, I can be praying, God, please help my neighbor. She's struggling so much and, you know, things are really hard for them. But you know what? God also wants to work through us. So if there is a way that we can reach out and help our neighbor, we must be reaching out and doing that um, if God is going to hear our prayers. Proverbs 21, 13 says, Whoso stoppeth his ears at the cry of the poor, he also shall cry himself, but shall not be heard. James 4, 17, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. And then Matthew 25, 45, As you've done it unto the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Oh, actually, I did have one more key here. Sorry, key number nine, as you pray, abide in him. Day by day, abiding, this is the key. And we kind of talked about this at the beginning as we talked about um, secrets for continuous revival. If you abide in me, my word shall abide in you. You shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. And then 1 John 2, 28, and now little children abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. So quick review. Secrets or the secrets to answered prayer. Pray in faith. Pray according to his will, which we will only know by studying his word. Become a friend of God, truly knowing God. Key number four, pray by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Key number five, persevere in prayer. Hold on, do not let go. Key number six, pray from a heart of obedience. Key number seven, pray from a forgiven and forgiving heart. Key number eight, pray with open giving hands. And key nine, as you pray, abide in him. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21 says, Now unto him that's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory forever. These um, basically sum up the secrets to continuous revival and to answered prayer. And as I talked about in the beginning, um, we have to be people of the word. We have to have a daily walk with God. We have to be humble and walking in humility. 
and we need to be a witness of our testimony. And during the workshop session that we're going to do in a few minutes after we take a break, we're actually going to be sharing testimonies of how God has worked in answer to prayer, specifically the united prayers of his people and just the amazing things that he's doing. Um, so it is my prayer that we can all be more effective witnesses for him, but that comes through the secret chamber of prayer. So let's just bow our heads for prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the words that you've given us in Scripture that we can lean upon and hold on to, that you are our rock and you are our foundation. Um, like the wise man that built his house upon the rock, it did not fall when the floods came or the storms came. So we ask that you would help us to be rooted and grounded in you, um, that we would not fall no matter the storms or no matter the things that we face, and that we would be able to experience um, continuous revival in our lives, that it would not be an up and down experience or something that we fall away from, but that as we learn to abide in you, as we learn to walk with you daily and to be humble before you, Father, that this would be a reality in our lives. And I know that it can be, Father, because you've given us the promises in your word that you will walk with us and abide with us as we abide with you. So we thank you for this. We thank you for the privilege of prayer, the power of prayer, and for the many answers to prayer that you are giving in our lives. We give you the praise and the glory in your precious name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.